Hi, and welcome to the Carmack Podcast, Episode 2. My name is Jim Allen. Today, my guest is Adam Madsen. He is our Vice President of Software Development. And today, we talk to Adam about all things Adam Madsen and Carmack, specifically when it comes to fusion development. Thank you, Jim. It's very nice to You don't here. get to talk at that point. I do, too. <laughs> So one of the interesting things that I will say about you, I'm going to build you up a little before I take you down, is you do seem to have some industry experience. And that is always cool for me because I came over from the auto side and it was super important to me to know as much as I could and be involved in the industry. So I have a lot of respect for that. So tell us the story about how you grew up, how you came into the industry, and how you ended up kind of working for Carmack. Well, it's it's a long story that starts before me. Um, my my grandfather uh, worked in an implement truck dealer. So back uh, when International was building not just farm equipment but trucks too, uh, that was passed to my father, who also worked for International dealers, and uh, he took a job in an International dealer in Alaska, in Fairbanks, Alaska, um, post the pipeline years, and that's where I was born. So I was really born into the industry. You were born in Fairbanks, Alaska? I was. Were you born in the cycle of darkness for three months or whatever? <laughs> I was born in August, so that means uh, it was all light. At the time. So it turned light right when you were born? Basically, the world turned dark after I was born. <laughs> okay. It's pretty clear. Interesting. So, and I'm, I know I'm interrupting, but I'm just, I have a lot of questions about growing up in Alaska because I watched this show recently on like, the Discovery Channel. It's all true. It's like, you're just jumping out of trees and stabbing bears and stuff. Like, <laughs> just that we'll talk time. about that later. <laughs> so, so how, do, how old were you when you really got starting getting involved? You went to work for... Well, uh, we started, uh, dad bought, bought the family business when I was five or six years old. So he, he bought into a WD distributor in Anchorage. We had moved from Fairbanks into Anchorage. And uh, so a WD distributor is, is obviously selling parts only. And uh, we had a gear rebuilding shop and we sold parts. We were a Dana distributor. And very early on, uh, we, we actually didn't have a computer system when I first remember being part of the business. And so my first job, well, he was on the phone. You have to do stock checks. And so he would write down a part number, and I would run and check the quantity. Because if, if we didn't have it, he didn't make the sale. So it was very important to go find the, uh, the part number, see how many we had on the shelf, and run it back to him as fast as possible. Now that I have kids, it's very possible he was just trying to keep me busy. Uh, but <laughs> I remember like being it. very stressed about <laughs> keeping all the part numbers because that was, that was a family tradition is how many part numbers could you remember in a row accurately and going and checking quantity, making sure you counted them right and, and bringing them back while he was still on the phone. Because we still used the card catalog system that was very common in the 70s and the early 80s where you only tracked inventory at the end of the day and uh, invoices were still handwritten and it was, it was very manual. So no software at all. And no, how old were you at this point? This is five, six, seven. So I was still, I was in school at this point. Oh, you were a little kid. I okay. Was. So uh, how much did you make? Like one popsicle a day? Like I made $2 an hour. <laughs> it was two bucks an hour. I'm sure that wasn't legal, but um, okay. it was important. So. Yeah, it seems very, very illegal, but there's probably a statute of limitations. Your <laughs> I think family, okay. family businesses, that's okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. Huh, interesting. I couldn't remember any numbers at seven years old. Like I, We still talk about part numbers that we remember. Uh, must be fun at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, it's a little nerdy. <laughs> so how old were you when you got your first real job there? Payroll? 
Payroll, um, so summers, uh, 14, 16, and then I went full-time there at 19. Wow. And what was your full-time job then? Uh, through through school and through college and all of that, um, I had worked for a while at an automotive. So there's two things I didn't want to get into when I was young. One was truck parts, and two was computers. Uh, so that worked out really <laughs> well for me. Um, so I spent some time in an automotive transmission repair shop. And thought I was, I knew all about repairing things at that point, as most teenagers in early 20s do. So when I went back, I, I went into an inventory control role officially. And then a couple of months later, three or four months later, we had an opportunity to have a service manager position open because we, we expanded into doing some on-vehicle repair. We expanded our rebuilding shop. So we, we added service to the mix. And I served as a service manager. Cool. And which of those jobs did you like the most? Not the service manager one. Really? Um, <laughs> Why is that? Uh, we So I very distinctly remember having issues managing people. I know shocking when you're the son of the boss um, and the grand son of the boss um, telling people what to do. That mm -hmm. didn't go well, probably in the way that I delivered it. I would have um, hated you also. Absolutely. I would have hated me <laughs> at that point. Uh, what I did enjoy, though, is the system side of things. Analyzing inventory control numbers, analyzing numbers, the, the mm. system pieces. This is when PCs were new in the, in the industry. And so that part of it was just really natural for me. And so I, I kind of gravitated toward that. Interesting. So the Alaska thing is always interesting because I don't know anybody that's ever lived there. But uh, you do now, buddy. So I do now. Yeah. So thank you. So you went from Alaska, and I'm probably going to say this wrong. Did you end up in Denver from Alaska? In a roundabout way. Um, so I left Alaska in '99 um, and went to work for an IT firm. So we have to remember this is Y2K, mm -hmm. and uh, at the time, anybody who knew anything about computers could get an IT job. It was very much a, a negative unemployment space. So I went to an IT firm that did technical support for the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And I was there for 11 months, very retail environment, uh, fixing different computers for the uh, Mayo Clinic and software. And, um, and then I went to work for a, another Carmack user at that point, which is a Freightliner dealer out of Denver, Colorado. So in what point did you were you introduced to software or DMS specifically? Well, very early on because, uh, so dad really, he, he, we used to go to conventions or shows. Um, the CFS show was, was a, a group that he belonged to and computerization when it came to parts distribution was a big deal at that point. So we actually bought an early system and we had a programmer on staff for a couple of years in the early 80s. And I remember very much being fascinated by it because the computer that, that we had purchased was six by eight foot. It was huge. It needed its own air conditioner. It, right. was, it was a big deal. And this, this gentleman named Owen, who was a very fascinating guy, would sit in this room and do stuff to it. And I thought that was very interesting. But very early on, we were a small company. We only had 35 employees. And one of them being a programmer seems unusual in the 80s. So Richard Sheen pitched to him that he had a system that would do all of the things the custom system had, did cheaper and better, and that it was industry specific. So he bought it very early on. We um, drivetrain distributors bought uh, the Carmack system in '85, I think. So this would have been just a couple of years after Carmack started. 
So you met Richard Sheen, and how old were you when you met? I I, I was eight years old. Um, there there's a story, there is a myth that I sat on his lap. I very much think that probably is true, though. I remember Richard's always been a very dynamic personality to me, and and to a, a little kid, he is he is all of these things. You know, he's just this great personality, um, and he had a big impact even then. And so we bought the system, and then we started attending conferences right after that. After a little while after that, um, Carmack actually came to our facility in, in Alaska and took pictures, and it came out in the Carmack newsletter. We had a lot of tie-in um, to Carmack through that time, and I remember doing that. One of my early family member memories is going to St. Louis on vacation during conference week because as kids we would go, and uh, so that, that was a big part of growing up. Mm. So to me, DMS computerization is just part of what I grew up with. So, and you've been at Carmack with... I came here in 2010, so six years. Six years. So I know that, and, and when you first came in, you were on the development team in some capacity, right? So I first came in and actually worked some special projects, but worked directly for John LaBelle at the time. And we did some things with the ASP. We, we did some, some kind of side projects, but then very quickly moved back to the Fusion team, which at that point was, was codenamed 3.0 and worked uh, with the lease rental side of things. So you jumped right in on the techie train, you know, I, I, it's always funny because Adam, you guys can't see this, of course, but he always, he was the first guy to get the, the little watch with all the do, is that an Apple watch? What it's is a Samsung thing? watch, which <laughs> came out long before the Apple watch. I'll just point that out. So he's very hip into the, the technical world, which is always hilarious to me. But so it's funny that, you know, and a lot, of, I don't know if people realize Adam and I, when I first met him, we, you know, I started, I've only been here two years. So we ended up being on the director team together and kind of got to know each other through through those meetings. And uh, we both were promoted to executives on the same day. So we kind of kind of came up through the ranks You've been together. Holding onto my shirt fun. tails the whole time. Yeah, I, I coasted in behind him. I'm like, how did he get in here? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, too late, too bad. So you know, it is. It is growing up in Alaska and growing up in the industry is a. It's a fun story. I mean, not a lot of people could say that. And one of the things I like about Carmack, and we talked about this in the first podcast with Richard, was we, you know, it's in the blood of the Carmack. You know, people, this has been their life's work, especially Richard starting off with Sheen Body and things of that nature. So, you know, having that background, is, has that been super beneficial to you or has it kind of handicapped you? It has been in many ways. So it's a big part of the industry is knowing the vocabulary knowing, understanding the pains of the industry, having worked a parts counter, having worked inventory control, you, you inherently understand the challenges that are out there. On the other hand, you can very much feel like you know the way it works. And so one of the interesting things about coming to Carmack is being exposed to the many different ways the industry works. I had the opportunity to go to the ATD Dealer Academy, and I remember before going to that, I was fairly sure that I was going to learn some stuff, but it wasn't going to be that interesting. And that was absolutely not true. The being exposed to the inner workings of other dealerships, being very specifically taught that there are other ways of doing things, and realizing that maybe the way that your grandfather did it, your father did it, was possibly wrong, um, was an interesting growing experience. And the, one of the neat things about Carmack is that we are able to see all parts of the industry all throughout the country, um, in Mexico and Canada, and seeing that diversity really allows you to understand the holistic picture versus being very specific in, in one area. 
Interesting. So uh, another thing people may not know because they can't see you or for, for people that haven't met you is you're pretty young. I kind of call you the Doogie Houseware of software development. And so with that, the millennial... There are people in this room that don't know who that was. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll explain that later. But I'm always uh, fascinated with the different generations, you know, Gen, Gen X, Gen Y, all these things. And now the millennial. And you hear people say that sometimes the millennial group doesn't have the same work ethic as, you know, a Gen X or a baby boomer kind of person. So I would put you prob probably in the uh, category of a millennial. Would you argue that? I never remember if I was a Gen Xer or not. So, <laughs> so I guess where I'm going is in the industry today, do you, do you see and through your contacts, do you hear that a lot of the millennial type people are getting into this industry or are they avoiding that? Or Because it's a, it's a weird, I'm not talking about the software development as much as I'm talking about the Yeah, um, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a big struggle because uh, I don't see it as much. And, and I think it's, it's a direct ramification of in the early 2000s, say post Y2K, there was a lot of push for, for kids to get into computers, get into healthcare, get into other industries. And they forgot that there was transportation, there was dealership. And that's, that's sad because a lot of the dealerships, and, and particularly on the technician side, pay very well. These are, these are great family-focused industries. They're great companies to work for. And none of them that I have been around, even through economic downturns, have ever said, man, I don't need any more people. Right. They're almost always saying, I need more people, I need good people, and I wish that I could get them. But they're not always maybe in the flashy part of town. Maybe they're not being espoused on the radio. But in the end, they're great jobs. And it's disappointing to see that through, we'll say media, that, that people aren't being pointed to in that direction. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great career, it's a solid career, it's a good industry. And um, I absolutely think people should look into it. So with that said, uh, you have a beautiful baby daughter named Alyssa. I do. And she's two now? She will be two next month. So when you're coaching her, when she's picking out colleges, are you going to tell her, you know, a career in the heavy-duty trucking industry could be for you? I, I will able to very successfully get her into the heavy-duty industry by telling uh, yeah. her she shouldn't go in. <laughs> in which case, that will guarantee that she will try to. Yeah. Um, she, she has mad some blood. There's probably no chance she won't be part of the industry. All right. Well, that's good to know. So, you know, talking about your baby, and I, you know, there's a story that you named her after and another employee here, which is kind of weird in my opinion but what happened there uh so this is all unbeknownst to me so <laughs> i uh so so i married a a local girl who has uh, grown up in around the carlinville area in uh in a little town called shipman and when we got married we were talking about baby names because that's what married folks do and she said i we were discussing boys names and she's like but if we have a girl it's going to be Alyssa because I've always wanted Alyssa as, as a name. She's like, I knew Alyssa when I was younger, and she was just the cutest little girl. And uh, I didn't babysit her, but my relatives did, and we interacted with them, and it was great. So Alyssa's really the name for me. And she didn't really budge on that, and I didn't argue because I'm a good husband. And mm. so <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so we, we end up, uh, so Amanda gets pregnant. We find out that it's a girl. We're having this conversation um, in front of uh, Richard, and Richard says, well, who was that little girl that was so sweet? And she's like, well, she was 
uh, you know, Alyssa Burns, but didn't use her, her last name. And, and he's like, well, is that Alyssa Burns, <clears throat> who has been from that area? And Amanda, at that point, puts together that the little girl works for Carmack and isn't so little anymore. Yeah. And Amanda immediately felt old at that point. Um, and then we realized that we named our daughter after a coworker. So yeah, that's a great story. And you know, it's funny because I think you guys is the AAA. You had Adam, Amanda, and uh, Alyssa. And, and I get confused when I get emails because Amanda actually works on in my group on e-learning. Uh, and your emails are so similar that sometimes because I don't ever look at yours. I will just pass on one of ours thinking it's from you. That happens so a lot. Yeah. It's like AM, I don't know. I can't figure it's it out J, still. But. So how do you, you've got this family uh, and you've got a, a, a pretty demanding job. How do you balance that out? Um, not as well as I'm supposed to, what am I told? Um, well, it's interesting. So Amanda works here for Carmack. And so it's very easy to turn personal life into another meeting. Um, so when you're driving home at the end of the day, it's very easy to start to talk about things at work. Uh, it's very easy on the weekends and, and other family time to start talking about work. So we very specifically talk about separating the two. And we try to stay very busy in our personal lives so that there is something to talk about. It's not all about work. And to be pretty dedicated to what we do off hours. And that allows us to, to cut the ties with work when we need to. But on the other hand, she for working here completely understands and is very supportive when there are times where you do have to work odd hours and, and that really helps. Maybe you could make her drive separately. And I've then... tried that a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. But when I come and complain about Jim Allen, you know, she gets it. So. Yeah. Well, the other thing is you would always beat her here and beat her home because you're apparently a lead foot and I don't have room to talk, so I don't want this to turn into something about me. How many people have <laughs> tickets this year? But, uh, so you're a car aficionado. Like I me. am a car guy. And, and you know, I, I love that because I'm a car guy too. So Adam's got this Mustang. Uh, what's it got? 400 horsepower? 435. 435, I stand corrected. You really feel that other 35, I gotta say. So I've ridden in it a few times, and uh, it has the ability to put you back in the, the seat for sure. But I, today we went on a little field trip, Adam and I, and he made the comment that he's running out of spaces to park all his vehicles. So it's it's at this point gone past obsession to illness, I think, in the vehicle. It's valid. Yeah. So, so what what got you so interested in cars? Is uh, so that's also kind of a funny story. I, I lay I you know you growing up as a little boy, you think that you get that from your dad because you know car guys learn from their dads. I have learned since then that it's really mom. Uh, mom is is the uh, the lead foot and has the problems <clears throat> not racing. Um, so all throughout growing up cars were a thing we always were working on cars and which is mechanic code for we didn't have cars that worked um, <laughs> that's what i was thinking <laughs> it happens um i'm so, picturing this yard full of cars up on we kept tracks. them in the garage it's alaska <laughs> next to the couch uh, th there was a story where we uh, put in a reverse solenoid into our international travel all backwards and it could only go in reverse so you, <laughs> to get it back in the garage you have to drive it all the way around and back into it but <laughs> Uh, so cars were always a part of the family. I, I, I bought my first Porsche at 18. I obsessively go through cars. It's it's probably not uh, fiscally responsible. So uh, it's not. That's, <laughs> so we'll go ahead and remove the probably. But it is fun. So yes. you know you you got to do what you got to do for your hobbies. And speaking of hobbies, 
Uh, I hear the Madsons are getting into camping, and I find this very hilarious. Well, that's not entirely <laughs> true. We've always been into camping. You grow up in Alaska, you have to camp. Well, that's true. But I assume you guys men, lived out there in right, huts and stuff. Real men camp on the ground in tents. Is that, uh, no. I, have, I have finally gotten old enough that I feel like I need a travel trailer or an RV to go camping, which I don't think is probably real camping, but it'll you be You just realized more... you just called yourself not a real man. <laughs> I, and old, I think. Okay. All in the same sentence. Okay. Just, um, just being clear. Yeah, so we recently have decided that we are going to get a travel trailer and we're going to, because we want to give that experience to our daughter, but yet not sleep on the ground. So That's a good call. Actually, I support the decision. <laughs> but the funny story is, so Adam Madsen goes in to buy a camper. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for this because... Uh, he he goes in and they. I'm, I'm assuming you've tried out all these different campers. Sure. Really well, that's the problem. Is you can't you really test out. Right. You, yeah, you right. lay on the little foamy bed. And, yeah. Uh, so he buys it. This one's musty. And he negotiates whatever deal it is. Which and I'm then sure was this spectacular. Was what, when was that? That was six weeks ago. Six weeks ago. So I ask him today. I go, "How's camping going?" He still hasn't got his camper. So <laughs> I've not been delivered yet. There's so some delivery issues. What is the problem, man? <laughs> Well, this is this is classic salesman um, promising deadlines and then not reaching them, uh, which I think is only amusing for a couple of reasons. But so it's on order because, you know, I can't buy one that was on the lot. That would yeah. be ridiculous. Well, yeah. Who does that? Yeah. Everyone else. Apparently. <laughs> Everybody with the Madsen. <laughs> Everyone that actually owns a camper. So thank you for saying that, you know, setting deadlines and not meeting them. So I wanted to talk about software development. <laughs> Let's I'm, do that. I'm very curious about this because it is a difficult game. And I guess as I've learned more and more about it, it's super difficult to predict when something will be done. And I don't think people realize how many millions of lines of code uh, there are in a system. And then if you change one character, the fact that it can reach so many different things and can wreak havoc throughout a system. So... How, how did you learn about all this and, you know, where, how do you manage all that? Uh, well, that was the biggest learning experience coming to Carmack. So as a client or as an outside IT um, person, you think you have it all figured out. You think this is easy and I just don't understand why they don't do it the right way. And uh, we had developed in some, of the, in the, some of the organizations that I had been in previous to joining Carmack, we had developed some software so, of course, you feel like you really know how to do this. But those are all small projects. And so joining the Fusion project was a big learning ex experience for me because of the complication of it. So we're sitting at about 7 million lines of code. I mean, that's, that's a ton of writing just in of itself. But you realize that we have refactored that many times, which is development to speak for redoing it the right way the second time. And so we're really touching all of those lines of code. And it's, it's a very complicated project. And the other piece is it's not done by one or two people. When you have a project that's done by one or two people, it's pretty easy to go in and get a status update and understand what they're doing, understand where the where the progress is. But we have a development team right now that sits at about 45 people. We have had it bigger. We've had it smaller at different times. We've had that development team be dispersed into different countries, different languages. And dealing with that collaboration is much more difficult than people really realize. And also, so when I said that it was nice that when I came to Carmack and found out that people did things differently, that's also a reality when it comes to using our software. People use our software differently than the way we have tested it or the way mm -hmm. we intended it to be used. So once it gets in the field, we find that we learn things, um, sometimes in a very negative sense, and we need to fix those. So being able to, to balance the additions 
being able to balance the fixes that need to be done versus the fixes that can wait a little bit is is really a, a full-time position for many people. It's a very complicated process. And it's, it's really one of those that is something that people uh, miss out. So we all know about software. We all use apps. We all do all of those things, and they seem all very instant. But if you think back, okay, well, when does my new phone come out? Well, it usually comes out about once a year. That means that there's a team that's been working for a long time to get that there right. and how many people work on it. So Carmack is, is, we consider it a small company, but from a software standpoint, is not. Um, we find that if you look at software company metrics, that the vast majority of them are, are much smaller, and smaller companies are a little easier to manage, but you don't get the bigger projects out of them. So learning that whole process of developing, designing, testing, you know, distributing software, then fixing it once it's out there was, was a learning experience. And it's one of the reasons why it took five years before I was comfortable getting into the vice president of development role because I really needed to know all of those things mm -hmm. uh, before taking that job. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, there's a methodology there. And, you know, to your point, it's, it's just making the change. It's testing the change over and over and fitness and QA and all these things. Yeah, so we use automated testing, which is a product we call fitness. And all of those pieces are very inherent to what we do every day and we would love to have almost every customer walk through and just watch the process and it's always a little bit more complicated than people think so the other piece is a lot of times when 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 we quote deadlines we're really quoting best case and and things happen because we have to remember that development is creative not manufacturing so if you're manufacturing a truck you're redoing the same process over and over and over again, and you can build efficiencies because you're still building the same truck. Development is only done once, and then is distributed automatically millions of times. So it's really a creative process, right. and creativity doesn't always run on a schedule. Where do you see Fusion, which is our flagship DMS right now? There's Where an do us you... in Fusion, yeah. Say again? There's an us infusion. There's an us infusion. Where do you see fusion going? Is that going to be a mainstay for a while? Or we, are, do we have other plans? Absolutely. So our previous systems that we had offered, um, either through acquisition or developing ourselves, were in the, the field in one way or the other for 30-plus years. So we, you're talking Legend and Info, Info 5. Info 5, right. Uh, we don't expect fusion to last 30 years, though it has been in the marketplace for five years already. So we very much expect to see that in the market space for 10 to 15 years for a product cycle. And then, you know, before that product cycle ends, though, you will see a, a replacement product for it. Hmm. So uh, Legend and Info 5 are interesting because we still have a very large customer base on both of those. And Absolutely. No plan for that to go away anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, we continue to support that. We support Legend. We support Info5. We support Fusion. That brings challenges, right? Multiple platforms for a software company to manage brings a challenge. What do you say is the biggest issue there? So uh, a lot of people think that it's a challenge, and, and I, I guess I don't really necessarily feel that it is. Um, it's an organizational challenge for Carmack in the fact that we have to have different teams that are dedicated to those products. But we, we did a move a, a while back where we really divided the company in those product lines to make sure that there was a team dedicated to those products and it was right-sized. Uh, we have a challenge as Carmack because it is difficult to get all of those customers together and talk about software because absolutely they have different experiences. 
but we find that by dedicating teams to Fusion, dedicating teams to Info5, dedicating teams to Legend, that we can manage those independently and successfully. So, so no different than a dealership might have a, a trailer dealer or a truck side, no different than a parts dealership offering multiple lines or a parts distributor offering multiple lines. We're able to, to multitask. So one of the things that some people listening might not be aware of is that CarMac itself uses Fusion to run our business. So talk about that and what are those challenges? Like is Scott Simpson just your worst customer? <laughs> he is, he is. Um, yeah, so that was something that was, was interesting because in the, in the industry, this is commonly called eating your own dog food. So this is you should utilize your own software so that if there are problems with it, you're directly impacted by that. And that was important to Carmack leadership to do, and we, we moved it over. And then most people would sit back and say, well, you're a software company. You use it very differently. But in a lot of ways, we sell hardware to customers who are, are either existing customers or new customers. So we have parts. Uh, we sell labor all the time. We sell... We, uh, we do a recurring billing for revenue, um, support revenue, et cetera. We use the lease rental package to do that. So in many ways, we utilize um, the different areas of Fusion. What's interesting is, is when we attempted to use Legend, which is what we used before, we had to modify it significantly in order to work. And at this point, Carmack uses the exact same version of Fusion that is out in the field today. So there is no, there is no specific Carmack. Carmack does not have the secret version that has all of the neat stuff in it that they use exactly what everyone else does. And the other thing that we, we really we pride ourselves on is we actually install the release here first before anyone else. So if there are major issues with it, we're impacted first. Uh, cool. It doesn't always catch everything, but it definitely changes the dynamics of different internal meetings when a customer is sitting across the, the table from you who is also a coworker. Right. No, that's pretty cool. Uh, I like the eating your own dog food, even though... I've done that before. It's not very good. Was it yours? Uh, <laughs> my dog was mad. It was a whole thing uh, at our house. So, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm thank you for agreeing to do this. I know I've been giving you a lot of grief in the hallways and said I was going to spend a lot of time on how handsome you are and how your hair looks. I was hoping for that. But I heard a rumor. Oh, man. That. Your mom wanted you be, to be a newscaster, like she did. Adam, the weather, yeah, a weather was person. Was it yes, weather? It was weather. Um, Which is know. ironic, considering we're having a wicked storm <laughs> yeah. right now. Whether that would have worked or not, I told that was you, a little Adam. Pun. That was Adam's mom. <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. Madsen. Yeah, she she'll be leaving now. Um, should we do sound effects? Um, yeah, no, my, my mother was, was convinced that that's, that I should go into radio or I should go into. So when I when I went to college, I was a communications major. And I thought that would be great. And then you find out that none of those people actually make any money. Um, and you have rent and things that you're supposed to pay. So that's yeah. a challenge. That's so important. It is. It is. Plus, huh. um, I'm horrible at it. So so your mom out. thought it would be cool, but you were not just not anyway. I was for a while. Um, Did you do some broadcasting school or anything? Or No. I had to go to work. I had right. to make money. Well, yeah. You had to go memorize parts numbers exactly. and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think my parents were just so happy that I could actually move out and stand on my own. Oh, you have moved out? Yeah. <laughs> the basement was just too crowded with all my family in it. Congratulations. So, yeah, it's it's been a hell of an achievement for me. So, uh, Is that last month? So, Adam, impress us with some of your part number knowledge. Uh, I, I won't because that Wait, will, let, that what will. is an alternate? What is the part for an alternator for a 1982 no Freightliner? 
Seven. Seven. No, that's the part number. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that seems shorter. I can so, memorize that. So we, we, we talk about this all the time about, so when you're doing demos and things for software, invariably you have to type, type in part numbers. And so I, my go-to part number is 5-280X, which is a Spicer U-joint that's been around forever. And so Dad and I were talking about this a couple of years ago. And he said, yeah, that's the one I always use, 5-280X. And all my guys now make fun of me because that part number has been obsoleted for a while. And you have to get a new part number because people know that you're old if you use that. So I've been searching for a new part number. I, I, I just had I a, think 3030 break can seems to be I had cool, a great idea while you were talking. It was a can joke. No, it's not. It's your license plate for your Stang should be 5-280X. How cool would that be? No. BR549. Anyone? Yeah, you know it. Do you know BR549? <laughs> I know you don't. Come on, Hee Haw. You guys never saw Hee Haw? No. It's the greatest show on TV ever. How old are you? What's TV? I'm 37. <laughs> plus some other number. <laughs> no? So, uh, outside of memorizing parts numbers and camping and spending time with your family, what else do you like to do, man? <sighs> Yeah, that's all I have time for, honestly. Um, what happened in Vancouver? <laughs> what didn't happen in Scott Vancouver? Scott Elbring's bib. <laughs> so that's funny. Adam and I went to Vancouver to visit a, a, a dealership up there, and we took with us Mr. Jim Sheen and Scott Elbring, who's our VP of sales. And uh, So there's we, a couple of things. That you have. I mean, you got to set it up a little bit. Okay. okay. So Help for, first out. off, we're, we're central time. Um, so going out of the West Coast, you get up pretty early. Right. So I think I was downstairs in a suit and tie at 7 in the morning local time. And yeah. We didn't have to go anywhere. And, and VP of sales, well, sales doesn't get up early ever. Ever. Right? ever. And he's notoriously late. Right. So he had seen, you know, what we addressed. And you joined shortly thereafter. Um, and so then he comes down in, we'll say, an older tie. <laughs> This it's thing was large. like 10 inches wide. It looked like a bib. He <laughs> <laughs> looked like a circus clown. So he takes that same tie to ATD, and I have to give him a new tie, and he's still never giving it back. <laughs> so Adam must have been giving him trouble in the lobby <laughs> before I even came down. And I, I, I come back down, and of course I look amazing as always. And the first thing is Scott's looking at me, and I could tell something was going down. And I looked at him, and I looked at his tie, and I looked back up, and he's like, what? And I go, what's with the tie? <laughs> it was the worst tie I've ever seen. I'm like, you've got to get that back to your grandfather. He's going to know that's <laughs> he's missing. He's going to be missing. And, uh, yeah. so, so one of the things you, you realize when you, when you come and join Carmack is we travel a lot into different places. So it was extremely challenging to not just eat at Denny's, right? Because, you know, when you're traveling, you only know what's near your hotel, near the airport, near the customer. Right. That's it. But if you asked Mike Sheen or Richard Sheen or Jim Sheen the nice place to eat in an area, they always could give oh, yeah. you an answer. And they will give you in-depth answers of, well, we went there a few years ago, and it's not as good as it used to be. But they were a wealth of every nice, good restaurant in the United States and Canada for many years. So, yes, that's been replaced by Google, but it's still quite the talent. Nothing will ever replace Jim Sheen telling me I have to eat at Five Guys. He's even got a hat that says Five Guys. He loves Five Guys. They have pretty good hamburgers, though. But yeah, that knowledge is—it's you know—it's an old-school road warrior. And, Absolutely, you know, I, I have a lot of respect it. for that, and and I have a lot of respect for our training staff and our client services staff that that go every week to a different client, 
and train the same pieces over and over again, I think that's really a challenge. And being able to do change management, so that's that's the big piece we're in right now. We have we had a couple of customers here recently that installed Fusion, and the original install of the software of either Info5 or Legend was done by a previous generation, and in fact, they weren't alive when that install had happened. And so being part of that reconfiguration, being part of that decision-making process of what, how we should set a system up, how we should implement it, it's very interesting to see that and family businesses go through that. But also having to help people through change management has has been an interesting piece of software that no one would have predicted that that would be a challenge for us. You know, we, right. we, we tend to focus a lot on development and how to get a feature in and by a certain time period, but there's a lot more to it. Once it's out in the field, how you support it, how you get people to use it as you intended it or to change it to use it as they want to use it is, is part of a, is an ongoing process. And that user feedback loop, we commonly call that the voice of the customer, is something that we can't get enough of. Right, and it, that's a very good point in, in talking about, it's more than just a product that we offer. You know, here's a piece of software. When I buy Microsoft Word, nobody shows me how to use it. I have to fumble or look at YouTube for videos, right? And we're all in and, and educating the customers, not only with e-learning, but with on-site training, remote training, and, and the different tools and things that your team's trying to do to make it more uh, user-friendly and those kind of things to really have it be a tool that, that works for them instead of them working for the software. So it's it's a huge picture and a lot of a lot of talented people that do a lot of work every day to get this thing, you know, keep it going in the right and direction. We, we've had a lot of success stories. So one of the other unusual things is we're a software company that has been around and under the same ownership for thirty five years. Yeah. And that's that's pretty rare if you go through your record books of how many software companies are out there that can say that. But that experience, because all of that experience, a lot of it's still here. Some of it's a little legendary, some of it's myth, some of it's stories that are shared <laughs> in the hallways. But those experiences, both good and bad, are you're able to tap into that. You know, we can very specifically ask people, hey, when you were rolling Legend out or when you were rolling Info 5 out 25 years ago, were you having the same issues? And it's interesting that the stories are very similar. We've rolled other products out. Um, we have a director series product. We have other products that not everybody's aware of. And We've got some apps, right? We have some apps. And, and to watch that product lifecycle and be able to talk to the original people that designed it and developed it, you know, some of those people are still here. And being able to hear those stories really help to relate how this is going to work in the future because the, the best predictor of the future is, is past performance. And being able to, to lean on that is excellent. That said, we have no intent of just staying in that realm, and we want the next 35 years to be just as as motivating, just as um, <clears throat> innovative, because we really want to push this to a level the industry hasn't seen yet. And technology changes very quickly. We have technology cliffs, which is what we call them when we when we get maybe a, an OS like VMS or the AS400 platform that's no longer in production that you are forced to move. But we can force that innovation also. When we find new ideas and implement them in new ways, really making leaps and bounds over just gradual improvement. So being able to do both, that innovation and gradual improvement over the next 35 years, it's gonna be very exciting to watch. It is, and, and I think that it's also important that we continue down the path of, of being experts in the industry, not just software, but in the heavy-duty industry. So, for example, you attended Dealer Academy, right? You're a I did, and, and a graduate there. Uh, we also really support different industry shows. Um, there's a lot of associations 
um, that we are a part of, and we're proud of our sponsorship of those. But not, we don't just send a check and sponsor those and make sure that we have a booth there. We staff it with people who really want to know what's going on in those user communities. So, you know, we, we spend leadership to these shows all the time to hear what, directly what's happening. We, we send new up-and-coming people to them so that they can get exposure and allows us to interact. And it's not just go to the technology fair and take off in an hour. It's, you know, share meals with our customers and, and potential customers, hear what they're really talking about, and that helps us to really guide the company. And it help us, it, would you say it helps influence how we, uh, what we put out in our software, Absolutely. how we prioritize? Absolutely. Now, it's never the speed that we want to do, but we, it's never the speed we want it to be at, but that is exactly what shapes our software. Right. Well, it's good stuff, Adam Madsen. Thanks, Thanks for, Jim Allen, for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Carmack Podcast. Please visit our website at carmack.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Have a great day.